We're just so glad you're worshiping with us today, and uh, I'm excited to have the privilege of one of our own being able to share God's word with you. Many of you know uh, Sam Troyer, uh, the Lord, uh, he, he just has a powerful testimony, the way that God uh, saved him and, and brought him from a, a place of unbelief into his, his family and, and then brought him to our church family. And um, for some time now, Sam's been praying and, and just reflecting on whether or not God's calling him into full-time ministry. And, and I, I don't think he has like a decided answer or anything, but he's, he's, uh, he came to me and we were talking and I said, well, um, I remember when, when the Lord was stirring my heart that way over 25 years ago, uh, I had a pastor who, who said, well, let's, let's, get you, let's write a sermon and why don't you preach? Let's get started somewhere. And so I said the same thing to him, and I'm, I'm so excited that we've got the opportunity uh, for Sam to share God's word with us this morning as we continue our study of Exodus. And so as he comes, I just want to pray for him and pray for our time together around the, the word this morning. Let's, let's bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, truly your name is worthy. As we've, as we've sung and lifted our voices in praise to you, God, I pray that the name of Jesus has been honored and lifted high as we reflect on the beauty and the glory of the cross and your, your power to save and to deliver. Uh, Lord, we just stand in wonder at how you've transformed our lives. You've brought us out of darkness and into light. And, and as our brother shares your word this morning and, and reminds us of your power to deliver the people of Israel through bondage, from bondage into freedom, Lord, we, we just can't help but stop and think about the ways that you have set us free from the bondage of sin and darkness and slavery to Satan. And you have brought us into the kingdom of your beloved son. And we just rejoice in that, O oh Lord. And Father, I just as I read the book of Colossians, I, I just pray that since we've been raised with Christ, we would seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, that we would set our mind on things above and not on earthly things. Thank you, God, that Jesus is our life, and when he appears, we will also appear with him in glory. Father, I pray that we as your people would put on love the perfect bond of unity, that we would let the peace of Christ dwell richly along with the word of Christ in our hearts, that we would teach one another, admonish one another through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and sing to you with gratitude in our hearts, and that whatever we do in word or deed, that we would do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as we give thanks to God the Father through him. And I give thanks to you, Father, for our brother Sam and what you have done in his heart and life. Lord, would you speak through him as he teaches us your word today. Open our hearts to receive what you have for us, that, that we might be changed, that we might be conformed to the image of Jesus. We thank you for what you're going to do and you have been doing this morning, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
that better. We're off to a we're off to a great start. <laughs> I want to thank Jeremiah and just everybody that uh, prayed for me this week and encouraged me to get ready to preach this Sunday morning. And thank you again for coming. We'll uh, see if I can preach or not. Amen. <laughs> so uh, we're we're gonna be in the. Finally, we get to the exit of Moses leading Israel out of Egypt. But I want to tie it back a little bit to what Pastor Jeremiah talked about a week ago, which is the Passover meal and then the death of the firstborn of Egypt. So that moves us to the next great event of the exodus out of, Is out of uh, Egypt. So... Uh, I want to set it up a little bit, the scene of, what, of how God reveals his power at the Red Sea. I mean, we, most of us know that passage, but there's a little bit to get to that before we can see the glory of God as he uh, reveals his power there at the Red Sea when he separates the sea. So if you would, uh, look with me in... Exodus 13, 17, and 18. Now when Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. For God said, the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Hence, God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea, and the sons of Israel went up in marital array from the land of Egypt. So, Pharaoh finally lets the people of Israel go. However, God does not take them directly to the promised land. So, the reason he chose, chose not to is one reason. Um, so, the people don't change their mind and go back to, Is to Egypt. So, coming out of... Uh, well, first of all, he leads them out and leads them through to the edge of the wilderness. But there's, there's three routes he could have took them out of Egypt. One is uh, northeast, one is straight east, and one is southeast. Uh, it's hard to specifically point to which route he actually took them. We, I would point to straight east and and then we'll uh, then then if we go to fourteen two for example, he he tells them, God speaking to Moses tells them to turn back, and camp before Piaharisso. So he hasn't come back and then go south. 
And the, as they're going south, then they come to up to the edge of the Red Sea. And, how, and I, I just had the, 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 none of this is specific, but if you look at, uh, um, in verse 3, where it says the wilderness has shut them in. So if you look at geography and everything, they come south, and then there's two mountains with a terrain going up to the sea. So that's why the text, I believe, tells us they were trapped in the wilderness. There was no way out. Once the Egyptian army showed up, they came in the same way. The only way was forward through the sea or fight. And as we'll see, they weren't trained to fight. So, um, Uh, I, I mentioned the towns, or I, I might have not mentioned, but the towns in 14.2, as I said, are really hard to geographically place in a specific location. So there are three different places that those names are mentioned. Um, I'm getting ahead of myself here. And, and then you got to realize it's God who has them turn and go. Oh, he, he has them turn and go, and then he, this gets Pharaoh to say that they're wandering aimlessly in the wilderness. So it's a way of God setting up to draw Pharaoh out after them. Um, then we get to and, and the other question, the where, and then the, I want to get to the why. Why did God bring them into the wilderness the way he did and get them to the sea and get them trapped in by the wilderness. And I think the, the rest of the chapter helps answer this. And if we look at four, seven, verse 4, 17 and 18, um, thus I will hearten Pharaoh's heart and he will chase after them and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord, and they did so. The, one of the purpose, or if not the sole purpose, is God getting glory for himself. The, the, the Egyptians did make the decision, Pharaoh and his army, they made the willing decision to go after these people, but it all was, also was God providentially making them come after them as well to draw them out, to get glory for himself. And, it, and then if we, if we, we'll see at the end of this chapter, chapter 14, that the people, Israel, did not fear God up to this point. Even though they had seen the ten plagues, they had seen the hand of God in Egypt, they still did not fear God. God till after the crossing of the Red Sea. And then we'll, we'll get to verse 10, but one of the reasons for 
God judging. I want to read this text from Isaiah 2, where it talks about the universal reign of universal reign and sovereignty of God and God's judgment and the purpose of his judgment. And it is to exalt him alone. So in Isaiah 2, verses 11 and 12, it says, The proud look of humanity will be brought low, and the arrogance of the people will be humbled. And the Lord alone will be exalted on that day. For the Lord of armies will have a day of reckoning against everyone who is arrogant and haughty, and against everyone who is lifted up, that he may be brought low. So that's just a little bit of the purposes of God draw. I believe God drawing the, the Egyptians out through his people to bring them to the sea, and eventually he will judge them. Even though they also made the decision to come, God still hardened their heart to draw them out. Um, so if we look at, um, and the other thing is, in verses 1 through 4, it is God giving Moses direction of what to do, where to go. So he's setting this up. And if we look at 5 through 9, it is when the king, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart toward the people, and they said, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So in this section, it is, we, we shift from God speaking, giving Moses directions to Pharaoh now fulfilling or acting on what God had told Moses Pharaoh is going to do. Um, so under the leadership of Pharaoh, they, they change their heart. And they get their military ready to, to pursue Egypt. Or not to pursue Egypt. It'd be kind of foolish to f pursue yourself, but to pursue Israel. So it, it's all set up, so to speak, by God to draw Egypt after his people, to show his power and glory, to save them. Um, couple little details about the Egyptian army. I, I think this helps bring the picture out a little bit more. Is there were estimated approximately Egypt had 600,000 soldiers. So it was a very big, and it was one of the most feared military armies back in its time. So it was a powerful military. And they, uh, it was the most feared military throughout the known world at that time. And then if, if we, so they pursue Israel. They, they take them over at the Red Sea. So remember I said Israel went in, two mountains on each side of the terrain. So Egypt comes up, and there's nowhere for Israel to go at this point. They have one option, and they don't take it. Um, so if you look at uh, verses 10 through 14, that's kind of when Israel sees the, the Egyptians coming, and they cry out to the Lord. They're frightened, and they cry out. Well, if you see 600,000 soldiers coming, and you don't have any military training, I, I think I'd be scared too. Um, 
So they see them coming down. And then they cr- the interesting part is they cry out to God, but then in almost the next breath, they turn on Moses. If you look 11 through 12, verses 11 through 12, they really complain to Moses. And this is the, the belief and fear at the end of the chapter. Yet in the very next chapter... Exodus 15, they're already grumbling and complaining again. I don't want to make it sound too bad, but it does get worse. They grumble again in 16. They grumble again in 17. Later in Numbers, they grumble in 11, 14, and 16. So this generation is a grumbling people, even though at the end of the chapter, they do believe. So... They turn on Moses. Now, I, I do need to add this. It, it, the psalmist in Psalm 106, 7 and 8 is speaking specifically about the people beside the Red Sea. He, he says this. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. He's talking about the wonders in, uh, in uh, Egypt there. They did not remember your abundant kindnesses, but rebuilt by the sea at the Red Sea. So it's not just, they're not just crying out to God, is the way I understood that. They're complaining, and at the same time, they're rebelling. Even though they had seen what they seen in Egypt, they're already, and this is roughly seven days later, so it'd be a little bit more, a little bit less. So they're already complaining. But listen to what Moses tells the people. He tells them, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. So he admonishes with the circumstances they're in, I mean, you got 600,000 soldiers breathing down your neck. He tells them to stand. Do not fear. But the interesting is he says doesn't, he doesn't tell them to fight. He just tells them to stand and let the Lord fight this. He's the one that brought you here. So now just relax. Let the Lord fight for you. Stand firm. I mean, you, you would think if you're trapped, the only way to look is up. But they don't do that. So Moses tells them to just look up. Let the Lord fight this fight for you. And you've got to remember, it's all providentially by God brought to that point for his own purposes and glory to show his power to save his people. Um, then he, he, he will fight, just keep silent or take your stand. I mean, it's not exactly what we would expect. I mean, most men, not all men, we would probably grab a knife out of the kitchen and go to war. But, you know, at least a butter knife. But you got to remember, the, the people, even when he tells them this, they... They had no training. They had their children, livestock. I mean, they had everything. And back to 13, uh, 17, 
exactly one of the reasons why God chose to take them a different route because they were not trained to fight among the purpose of getting glory for himself by delivering them through the Red Sea. Um, it, should, it, it should be a warning to us uh, as well um, when we're trapped whether by our own circumstances or providence of God, to, to look up, to not trust in ourselves so much. Just, and sometimes God does, well, sometimes that's the only way he'll get our attention. Because quite honestly, we're a stubborn people. So maybe we need to be praying to be put in a corner where we don't have any options. And pray God be glorified through that. Um, the next section, I tried to divide this up a little bit, but the next section is 15 through 29. And if 15 through 18 was... Pharaoh acting, and then the people complaining, Moses stepping in. Now we get to Moses, or God, telling Moses, or rather asking, why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. So the crying there shouldn't be understood as we think of crying. It, it means praying. He's like, why, why are you praying? We shouldn't be against prayer. We should be praying. But, he, you know, if you look at the rest of the, the back end of the verse, tell the sons of Israel to go forward. You got to remember, the sea hasn't been divided at this point. You think it was a little bit of faith? Just a little bit? Maybe a mustard seed? So I do think, and again, it, it could be that they weren't right on the edge of the sea when they were trapped in there. But they're still told to go forward. And, most, and God um, gives them further direction. He tells Moses to lift up his staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, and the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry land. Um, this is the same staff he had earlier, Exodus 4, at the burning bush. And then um, later in that same chapter, he tells Moses, take this staff with you and you will perform signs in Egypt to bring, your, bring my people out. Um, now, th this doesn't prove that sticks have magic power. Just because you can hold it out doesn't mean the sea's still going to do it. Although I will say this, when disciplining your child, it could have some magic power. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's biblical. Discipline is biblical. Just ask pastor. I'm trying to get him in trouble now, so... Um, if we keep going, God continues. He tells them what he's going to do. And this is a little bit different than previously. 
he is going to harden the Egyptians' heart. Previously, it was Pharaoh. Now, he's going to harden everyone so that they go through the water where he's going to take Israel. Um, pastor preached a sermon on the hardening of heart. I don't remember how long ago it was, but I'm not going to get into that. So if you want to look it up, go feel free to do so. Um, the other interesting thing is um, in eight, verse 18, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Um, how can they know if they're dead when he kills them? I mean, well, obviously, if you could look at the eternal state, then they will really know. But I do believe he's talking about through him, he will not only save his people, they will fear him, believe in him, but the Egyptians that weren't there, they will believe too. And in fact, if you go to the book of Joshua, as they're going into the land, people already know about Yahweh, the God that parted the Red Sea. Um, and, and he brings them through in spite of, of the early complaining and grumbling. Isn't that wonderful? That God would, despite our shortcomings, so powerfully save us. Now, I want to I, I look briefly at, um, let's see here, Oh, uh, the, the protection that God provided in uh, verse 19 and 20. He, he goes from leading to in between the two camps to protecting. And he does this all night till the sea, sea is parted and Israel is going across, the, across on dry land. But again, these are the same people that just previously were not very happy with their leadership. But yet, God mercifully protects them from the enemy, the Egyptians. Um, I, do, I do need to move quickly here, but uh, just, just as far as the parting and then looking at where God overthrows overthrows the Egyptians in the middle of the sea. If we look at Psalm 77, 16 and 20, this hopefully helps you get an image of what is actually going on. Because Exodus tells us he threw them into confusion, the wheels clogged up, or some translations might say broke off. But Psalm 77, 16 through 20 actually gives a good description. It says, the water saw you, God. The water saw you. They were in anguish. The ocean depths also trembled. The clouds poured out water. The sky sounded out. Your arrows flashed here and there. The sound of your thunder was in the whirlwind. The lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was in the sea, and your path in the mighty waters. 
and your footprints were not known, you let your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. So there's a good, good description of what was going on when he overthrew the Egyptians in the middle of the sea. Um, this is interesting. It's not that God needed Moses, but he uses Moses. He uses people. But it's almost like God was in there fighting. And if you look at verse 26, it's almost like God quick cries out to Moses, you know, put your staff back out, cover them in water while he's fighting. It's almost, it sounds almost like he's a little desperate for help, but he's really not. He's, that's his will is to use people, his creation to get, to fulfill his own purposes and get glory for himself. Um, I'm running out of time. So I'm going to skip over quite a bit. And we're going to go to 30 and 31. Um, I, I call this the reaction to the power of God after he saved his people. And the primary purpose, I believe, of Exodus, because Exodus 14, he could have taken them a different route. He did not have to take them through the sea. But I believe the primary purpose of that is and was to get glory for himself. He providentially brought them to that point. And, and I think this translates well into verse uh, um, 31. Israel, even though they've seen the ten plagues, Israel finally saw or did see the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians. They saw. And it says they feared. He, they, they feared the Lord because of what they saw. Their enemies were dead. They saw him on the seashore. And they finally feared the Lord. Where previously, just little a little couple of verses before that, they were grumbling and complaining. Yes, they did cry out to the Lord, if I understand it correctly, and, but they grumbled against Moses, which was God's servant. He was between the people and God. He was his representative. Um, and again, he chose to save them in spite of their unbelief. And he showed his power over his enemies. And they now feared the Lord, where previously they didn't. And yes, they're going to grumble and complain again. But in this moment in time, they do fear and show reverence for the Lord. And another, another thing is, that if you look at the very end of verse 31, um, some some might, translations might say say trust. They believed in the Lord and in His servant Moses. Some translations might say trust, but back to God using Moses and that staff was to gain credibility for Moses to lead for Moses to lead the people through the wilderness. 
So just, just in closing, um, here's some questions for you. Does God still save people today? In a different way, spiritually. There it was physically. Well, obviously he did spiritually back then too. But it is a little bit different than it was. Um, and the answer is absolutely, and even in a more glorious and better way. And that is through Jesus Christ. Who is the only way to be right with God. There are no other options. There, well, there are. There are two. Rebel, don't believe. Repent and believe in Christ. Believe in the God who saves for his own purposes and glory. He did not make us for ourselves. He made us for him. To know him and enjoy to enjoy him for all eternity. Has God providentially brought you to a place where you have no hope of being saved? Just like the Israelites. Did he bring you to a place where you had no hope? The only thing you can do is look up, if you can even do that. And then I think it's fitting after this great event in chapter 15, we see that they sing a song of praise to the Lord for all they had seen. I think it's fitting to sing praises to the Lord for all that he has done. So just to close, if you do not know the Lord, flee to him while it is still today. He will not turn you away. For he is a great God. And he has been saving people for himself since the beginning of time. And he deserves all the glory. Amen. Your brother for sharing the word of God with us and what a, just a crucial reminder that just as the Israelites had one way out so too God makes one way for us to be right with him and that's through Jesus Christ and we the, the God who was there with his people is the God who's with us today he's the God who still saves and does the miraculous to bring us out of bondage and into into the light of his eternal love um, before we dismiss this morning, I just have a, a couple of things here I want to make note of. First of all, thanks, Samuel, for all your work and, and studying the Word of God and, and stepping in today. Thank you for your brother. And then um, I want to just let you know here, uh, as we get ready to leave today, 
Uh, just a reminder, we, uh, we're going to have some more work done today or this week in the sanctuary. So if you have a few minutes to hang around and help us stack some chairs, we've got some dollies to haul them out. We need to take the chairs out today. So if you can stay for just a couple minutes. We also need the base trim pulled uh, along the edge of the walls. If you could help us do that. And then as we are doing some of these changes, and Anna's going to come up here in just a second and tell us about some of the, some of the things that we'll be doing this week. Um, if you are interested in that baseboard trim, uh, you're welcome to have it. We're, if, if you don't take it today, it will be out, outside, out, just out these doors here for a couple of days. So if you're interested in taking that with you, you're welcome to, to take that along. And uh, Anna's going to just fill us in real briefly here before we conclude on some of the, the changes here that we're working on. Well, like Pastor said, we are moving forward in the design um, and the remodel of the sanctuary. And you can already see that we've um, had some work done on our, our stage, one level stage. Um, we have some drywallers and painters coming this week um, to fix the ceiling and start our painting. And if you'll look, a lot of you were really worried because we had paint swatches on the back, but we did that until we got the lights in to see. Those colors are no longer. Over here on this corner wall, you'll see a chair, the carpet, molding, and paint color that has been chosen. We've prayed over it. We've prayed over the sanctuary many times, the elders, the deacons, and the design team, and we feel that the Lord's led us in this direction. So um, in the next few weeks, you'll just see a lot of transformation. Pardon the dust. You may come in and your chair may not be in the exact same spot that it is right now, but uh, pardon our dust. Um, and then we're hoping um, by the, let's see, the painters start tomorrow um, and hope to be completed by the 14th of August, and then the carpet will be put in the week of August 28th. So like Pastor said, for the next few weeks, we'll be moving chairs in and chairs out. Today they're out. If you'd like to come back Friday and help us clean up a little bit and put chairs back in, and then Sunday help us move them out. It's just a little transition we're going to go through, but we're pretty excited of, of, of what God's got planned for our sanctuary. Thank you, Anna. We had hoped to have, be able to minimize the number of in and out trips and everything, but as you know, ever since COVID, the last couple of years, sometimes lining up the contractors and supplies and equipment doesn't all uh, flow according to the, your plan, anyways. So uh, the 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 way that we're the way that it's unfolding has not been you know what we had hoped, but it's it's all coming together now, and so um, we just appreciate your willingness to help and lighten the load for for uh, some of our other volunteers. So let's just take a moment. We're going to close with a word of prayer and a benediction. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that you're the God who is mighty to save. You're the God who delivers. You're the God who sets us free from bondage. Your, your people in Israel are a picture of where we are without Jesus. We don't have the physical shackles on our wrists. We don't have observable taskmasters standing over us with whips. Lord, you tell us that, that we were born dead in our trespasses and sins, at odds with you, and we needed a way out. Our Savior, Jesus, has become for us the way, the truth, and the life. None of us come to the Father but through Jesus. We thank you, O oh God, that you have made a way 
and through belief in him, we're set free. Lord, I pray that we would trust you today and, and take the path of freedom, be set free from bondage, and to walk into newness of life. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters here today. May they go forth in that newness. And now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.